All right, well, again, good morning. Uh, great to be together, great to worship. Uh, just, again, so grateful for our, um, our praise team that leads us in worship every week. Uh, so thank you. And uh, just a gift to be able to worship together this morning. Um, last week, we kicked off a new uh, three-week series uh, titled The Generosity of God. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon uh, on our uh, podcast, but it, it introduced the fact that uh, we do this as an annual rhythm. Uh, every year in November, we get together as a community, and we want to pray, and we want to seek the Lord, and we want to ask the Lord um, what it will look like for us to honor Him in the year ahead. Is that still working? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Thank y'all for bearing with me. Um, so last week, we were looking at, at, at this introduction of generosity, and we were talking about the fact that we want to seek the Lord together, and we want to honor him in the year ahead. And what does that look like to do that with our money? And, uh, and this is important. This is important for our own hearts and our discipleship with the Lord Jesus, and it's also important um, uh, on a practical sense, just for our leadership. I want you all to be aware of that. For example, our, our leadership council is going to be gathering this Tuesday and talking through our budget and talking about the year ahead. And so just uh, as our leaders and as our leadership council gather and plan and seek the Lord, it's helpful for us to have a sense of what is God doing and how is he moving in the hearts of his people within our church as we look ahead to 2022. So, so with that in mind, I just want to encourage you and ask you again to pray uh, to listen to the Lord, to make uh, a commitment um, to uh, being here next Sunday and, and to giving and to filling out one of these giving commitment cards. Uh, there's some in the lobby. There's some on the uh, speaker on the way out. You can grab one. And, and my hope really is that every member of Apostles uh, would, um, would be able to make this commitment um, uh, on or before Sunday the 21st. And I just want to say, I know some of you are not members. You're, you're here, you're visiting us, you're kind of checking out, you're trying to decide, is this where I want to be as a church home? And I would just encourage you uh, to kind of take that commitment first, the membership commitment, and then consider the commitment to give. This is really something that we do as a family, as members of this church, and we're going to have a membership class in, in January. And so maybe figuring that out first, and then kind of seek the Lord in this. But for those of us who are members, this is something I really want to encourage you to do, um, because I think if we all make this commitment, if we will make this commitment as members of this body, uh, the Lord will use that to provide more than we need. He will meet the needs that, uh, that we have to do the things he's calling us to do in the year ahead. Absolutely. So, um, so again, just to review real quick. Last week, uh, we looked at Acts 4, 32 through 37, and we're going to look at that again. I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible and open to Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. Um, and just as you're doing that, just to review briefly what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about radical generosity is not something that comes from guilt. So when we start talking about money in the church, uh, a lot of emotions can come up, and I think chief among them many times is a sense of guilt. We're being kind of pressured in to giving or guilted into giving, and that's not uh, the way of Christ. 
when it comes to generosity. And so we talked about generosity flows from a genuine and faithful response to the gift of Jesus. In short, we said gratitude begets generosity. The, the motive, the heart motive for generosity is really gratitude for what we have in Jesus. And so this morning, I, I want us to look uh, again at Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. I want us to talk about generosity uh, again, but I want to kind of turn the, turn the diamond of this passage um, so we can look at a slightly different facet of what's going on here and what we talked about last week to see another motive for generosity. So their generosity is motivated by gratitude. We talked about that last week. And this week I want to focus on the fact that their uh, generosity was motivated by their personal affection for one another, uh, by their personal affection for one another. Is this popping a lot? Is that bothering you all? A little bit. Sorry. Apparently, it's bothering me, so I'm going to see if I can fix it. Okay. I don't know if that's better. We'll try that, James. Um, but generosity is motivated by gratitude for the gift, for, for the gift of Christ and uh, motivated by the personal affection we have for one another. And So I want to focus in on that second motive this morning. Giving for the earliest Christians, as we see here in Acts chapter 4, was intensely personal. It was very, very personal. And I think that's so important as we kind of enter into this conversation and seek the Lord in this, uh, because sometimes I think we're, we're, you know, we're asked to give, uh, and especially in a season like we're in right now, Thanksgiving is here, Christmas is here, uh, end of the year type giving. You know, you're, you're getting pinged with lots of emails and texts and opportunities to give to different organizations and institutions and ministries. And I think because of that, because of this kind of ebb and flow in our calendar year, giving can kind of lean into the more impersonal, right? It can feel less and less personal uh, as we kind of give to institutions, organizations, or causes, or to a compelling vision. And I just want to say there's nothing wrong with that. Um, In fact, it's really good. God uses that to do some amazing things. But as followers of Jesus, in particular in the local church, I think giving is fundamentally different. Let me just say that. Giving in the local church, I think, is fundamentally different because it is so personal. It's very personal. At least it should be. Acts 4.32 says this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. And then if you look down in Acts 35, it says, they laid everything they collected at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. Let me just look at these two verses really quick together. You can see that in verse 32, when he says, look, there's this number of folks who are growing, this growing community, and as they're growing, what's happening is they're being kind of knit together in this really powerful and intimate way. They were one in heart and soul, right? So this radical oneness is taking place. And then second, in verse 35, it says as people begin to sell their property, right, and bring the proceeds, and they're laying it at the apostles' feet, and it's being distributed, it says, to each as they had need, to each as they had need. In other words, they were meeting very personal and specific needs, so when I read this, I thought immediately of an experience um, uh, that Langley and I had when we were living in Tanzania. I remember hearing stories when we were living in East Africa about churches uh, that would invite people to give. 
right? And, uh, and in, in a place like Tanzania where people don't have a lot of money often, the way they would respond to that was, I just found it to be remarkable and really beautiful and powerful. What would happen often in services is there'd be an invitation to give and, and people would come forward and instead of bringing money, because they didn't have any, what they would bring is what they had. So you'd hear these stories about people bringing and, and coming to the front, coming to the altar, and they would lay like clothes at the altar. Or they would lay um, food at the altar before the whole church. I remember hearing one story about a guy who brought a bicycle to the front of the church because they had heard there was a need that someone had in the congregation for a bicycle. And he had a bicycle, and he said, I'm going to bring... I mean, can you imagine someone walking down the aisle as we take up the offering and laying a bicycle at the front of the room? But it was this picture, right? And it popped in my head when I read this. This is what's going on here. There's this beautiful sense in which what's, what's trying to be captured there is this sense of we, we're setting aside what we have, and we're bringing it, and we're laying it at the feet of the apostles so that it might meet the specific needs of those in the community. So here's the thing. How do you know when someone has a need in your community? How do you know that? Well, you know them. I mean, that's the, that's the best way is you actually have a relationship with them. You know them. You know them, and so you know their need. And I think that's what we get to see a picture of here. We see a church that's close Right, a church that's personal, where people feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough to share about their needs. And that's really hard for some of us, isn't it? To share, actually, that we're, we're in need. We don't like to be perceived as people who are in need, most of us. And so this is a community where it's safe to be that vulnerable and say, I, I have needs. You know, it's interesting, when you, when you think about giving in this time of year, too, I think one of the mistakes that, that I know I've made this, and I've seen this in churches a lot, is to connect giving with, and the motive for giving with vision, with the vision of the church. You know, in other words, hey, here's a compelling vision for our church, and here's all the exciting things that we're going to do in 2022, and here's the big project that we want to give money to, and the, the building, and all these kinds of things, and, and, and so that's, that's part of this push to give. And again, I think that's appropriate at times. There's a place for that kind of invitation. But I think what we're talking about right here, right now, when we're talking about giving as part of the ebb and flow of the life of a follower of Jesus and in the year ahead in the local church, that's not what we're being invited to respond to. And so we're not going to talk about vision right now. We're going to talk about vision in the, in the new year, but not right now. Because what we want to focus on is the fact that we're invited to respond as followers of Jesus, not to an abstract idea or, or a vision or a project, but out of this deep love for Jesus and a genuine personal affection for one another. See, the giving of the first Christians was intensely personal. It was personal. Now, with that in mind, and this picture that we get from these two verses, let me just say this. It was beautiful, and it was powerful in the older church, but it was not perfect. It was not perfect. So in your Bible, flip over to Acts chapter 6, and I'll show you where it's not perfect. So Acts chapter 6, when we read this description, you know, in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 2, we can start to feel a little intimidated, I think, 
Like, oh man, this is every person's need. There was not a needy person among them. Is that for real? Like, could that actually exist within a church, within a community of people? And so we feel intimidated, and it sounds a little idealistic. It sounds too perfect, and we know we're not perfect, so we can't do this, right? Well, here's the deal. They couldn't do it either. <laughs> That's the good news. They, they weren't perfect either. Look at what it says in Acts 6, verse 1. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in what? The daily distribution. You see the connection? So you just have this vision, this beautiful picture in chapter 4 that echoes chapter 2 of, man, every need is just being met in the church, you know, because they love each other so much and they've been moved so moved by gratitude for what Christ has done for them. And then chapter 6, so two chapters later, what happens? Neglect in the daily distribution of these goods to meet these needs. There's neglect. So something's gone terribly wrong, right? That this would, this would happen. That's what you would think. Now, one, I just want to point out real quick, kind of as an aside, this should encourage us as a church, right? Because these are people who had walked with Jesus, been with Jesus, seen the resurrected Jesus in person. They're following him. They're trying to do this life together. And two chapters later, they're messing it up. All right, so a lot of grace, a lot of grace for us, All right? We're not going to get this perfect, but the point is to grow into it. And so as a church, what we see here is a growing church where it's getting harder and harder to specifically meet everyone's needs, and it's getting harder because it's messy, and it's difficult, and people's feelings get hurt, and people feel left out, and needs get missed. Phone calls don't get made. Follow-up doesn't happen, right? These are things that happen, and I think we just want to be aware. This is the situation of the church. To paraphrase um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he said, if you want to kill your church, one of the fastest ways to do that is to dream of the perfect church, right? And I think it's tempting to do that. The reality is that being a part of a church requires a lot of humility and a lot of grace and a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of patience. And so the disciples are experiencing that as they grow, and numbers are growing, and they had to adjust. They had to create this new ministry. They had to appoint new leaders. They had to have deacons to help do a better job with this. And so I think it just highlights, again, that what motivated them to continue to grow in this, even when it got hard, even when it's messy, to press into this, what's motivating them is their gratitude for Jesus and then this real, authentic, deep, personal affection for one another. Now, here at Apostles, we're not a big church. Uh, but here's the exciting thing is we're, we're growing you know, we've been through a lot over the last two years, and as we're coming back, we're, we're adding new folks to our, our numbers, and that's really encouraging, but what it means is, uh, is, is if you look around this room, there's going to be people that you don't know, or that you don't know well, right? In other words, there's going to be people in this room that you're not aware of what's going on in their life, and you're not aware of what their needs are, and it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some effort on, on, on our part to, to get to know one another and to figure out what those needs are because I think it's going to be hard for us to really be moved to that personal affection if we don't know each other. It's hard to love what you don't know. And so we want to, we want to be intentional about continuing to create this atmosphere, this culture where we know one another well enough to know what 
what and why we're giving, if that makes sense, to help meet real and personal, physical and spiritual needs within our community. It's one of the reasons I think life groups are so important. Um, you know, we've restarted life groups, and that's been really encouraging. And life groups are important because they create this space for us as a community to really connect and to know what is going on with one another. We can study scripture. We can pray together and for each other and celebrate and grieve together. We can worship together. But worshiping together once a week, right, is not enough. It's just not enough. We need more time together. Right? We have to create space that would know each other so that we can actually love one another. So I think that's an important part of this process of becoming more generous people, is to be with each other and know each other and love each other. And how we love each other really matters. The way Christians were caring for one another in the early church was a radical witness. So in the early uh, Roman Empire, uh, early church in the Roman Empire, there was no system of welfare. Uh, There was no... Uh, kind of network of hospitals. There was no retirement communities. There was no orphanages. There was no disability assistance. There was no, nothing. And if you didn't have a patron or come from a wealthy family, it was very easy to kind of fall through the cracks. And so what we have is this picture of a community that's radically different because of their generosity and their love for one another. And the world outside of the church began to take notice. In fact, it's fascinating. There's a guy named Lucen who was a, a pagan writer about 100 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he was writing a letter uh, to a friend of his about uh, something that he'd witnessed in this Christian community in Palestine. And so he writes this uh, letter about uh, a Christian named Proteus. And Proteus had been unjustly arrested. And then what happens is Lucian describes how he's cared for to his friend. So it's this amazing glimpse from someone who didn't believe in Jesus observing a Christian community in about within a century of Jesus. So this is what he writes. He says, At that time, Proteus was arrested and thrown into prison. And the Christians, making this out to be a tragedy, made every attempt to have him released. Then seeing this was impossible, attended to him in every other way, and not in low priority, but most earnestly. From dawn Old widows and orphans' children could be seen waiting outside the prison with their leaders who had bribed the guards so they might sleep inside with Proteus. They brought him extravagant meals and read him their sacred stories. Some even came from the cities of Asia dispatched by other Christians at their common expense to aid, advocate for, and to encourage the man." They exhibited extraordinary speed whenever such public action was taken. And I love this last line. For without delay, they lavish all that they have. They lavish all that they have. I love that. What a description of the church. This is a group of people that lavish everything they have on caring for one another and meeting one another's needs. What a picture of the gospel to the world, a picture of the lavish love of God, a community where everyone experiences that lavish love through one another. It's, it's the living out of what Jesus said in John 13, 35. This, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. If you love one another. 
And that's what we're aiming for with our generosity, to be a community that lavishes on one another and those in our city the extravagant love of God. I was thinking about our apostles' family this week, and I just have to say, this is probably one of the most generous communities I've ever been a part of. Absolutely one of the most generous communities I've ever been a part of. Generous um, in ways outside the walls of this place. Generous to to give and to support all kinds of ministries and, and efforts around our city. Generous within the walls. Generous to meet the needs of those, uh, I just, I can't tell you, I can tell you story after story, and I won't because I don't want to embarrass people, but there are story after story within this church of people that when they found out about a need, and sometimes very significant needs within this church, they respond, and they respond with generosity, and they, they respond with love, and so it's, it's been beautiful to see that working itself out in the life of our church, and I can say our family has experienced that as well. And so it's, it's amazing, you know, when you get to be a part of a community like this, when you get to see the lavish love of Jesus pressed out into relationships. It's funny, you know, Patrick, uh, way last week, he was talking about giving, and he said, uh, you know, he said, sometimes, you know, when we're talking about giving and being generous, uh, it's not so inspiring to talk about giving to keep the lights on, and then other mundane things like David's salary, <laughs> <laughs> and I gave him a hard time after, after the service about that. Uh, but I've I, I just been thinking about that. And I, I do just want to say, like, it's remarkable to me how cared for I feel by this congregation. And that that, that is anything but mundane. And I know Patrick would agree with me on that. Um, there's... a a sense in which uh, I'm aware of how unique that is. I just know there's a lot of churches where that's not true, that pastors cannot say that, that they feel cared for and supported and encouraged. And I just want you to know, I'm so grateful. My family is so grateful. Our staff is so grateful. This is a generous community that cares for each other. And we're not unique in that. We just get to be a part of that. And I praise God for that. Uh, it's an amazing honor that I get to serve as your pastor. And that is a direct result of your generosity and your love for Jesus. And so I'm so grateful for that. I know that many of you guys could tell stories. I mean, I'm looking out across this room. There are stories in these seats about the generosity people have experienced through this community. Uh, that's amazing. And it's all because of the love of Jesus in your life. It's spilling out into other relationships, and it's drawing people to Jesus. And there's a sweetness to it. Uh, there's an aroma to a community like that. Um, a generous, caring community, in a sense, smells good to the world. You, know, you, can just get, you just get it. You sense it. You can feel it. Um, it's so interesting. So many people have come to Apostles in particular, over the last couple of years, um, newer folks have come to Apostles and they comment. I get this comment regularly in different forms, but the comment is, there's just something different about Apostles. We could just feel it when we came here. We could just sense it. And, and it get, there's different words that get put to it. You know, sometimes it's 
uh, just this powerful sense uh, of God's presence or this powerful sense of God's peace in this place. There's something of the calmness. I hear this a lot, a calmness of the Holy Spirit that just rests on this community. Um, A genuineness, a warmness. Uh, So we're smelling like Christ. I mean, that's the bottom line. We're smelling more and more like Jesus as a generous people who are loving him and loving one another well. And I just want to encourage us, it's drawing people to Christ. It's drawing people into our midst. In particular, um, I've noticed it's drawing people who have been hurt by the church. I just want to share that with you because I think that is such a gift. I've thought several times, what specifically is it that's causing this? But there are numerous examples of people who are worshiping with us now who have served in capacities at other churches as leaders or in other ministries, and they have found their way to apostles. And in part, they're coming because they're wounded and they're hurt and they haven't felt cared for or honored where they were serving Christ. And so now they've come to apostles, and it's like a safe harbor in a storm for them. And it's, it's amazing to see this happening as, as the church is becoming this place of healing for them, as opposed to this place that's hurt them. And, and seeing people begin to see who they are again in Christ. And, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's a gift. And it's because of who we are and who we are becoming in Jesus as a generous people who love to give and care for one another. And so I just, I just want to say, too, if that's you, if that's your story, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to give you just a word of encouragement because I really believe not only is this a place of healing, I, I really think this is a place of restoration for those of you who have been hurt by the church. That Not only will you heal, but you'll actually be lifted back up as who you are in Christ and that you would know that and you would be sent out to serve him and to follow him and bring glory to him made whole and healed, and fully restored, all for his glory. I really believe that, and God's doing that. I just want you all to be encouraged to know that that is happening here at Apostles, and it's the fruit of a community that's grateful for what we have in Jesus, and who's allowing it to shape how they live as a generous people. So let me just recap quickly, and then I want to give you a few practical instructions for this week. So first, gratitude begets generosity. Uh, we give not out of guilt, but because of what we have received in Jesus. Second, we give out of a genuine affection for one another. It's not just checking a box or supporting a vision. It's personal. It's personal. It's relational. And so my challenge for us this week is that we would make it personal. We would make giving personal. And you can do that by talking with the Lord. I encourage you to seek the Lord and pray and listen to him uh, on this question about what to give in the year ahead. Talk with your spouse, talk with your friends, talk with your life group, so that when we come together next Sunday and we bring our commitment cards, it's personal. It's personal. It's not just something we're going through the motions on, but we've sought the Lord and listened to him, and it's an act of worship. So in just a minute, we're going to stand and and say the creed together and pray, Um, but before we do, I just want to speak to a couple practical things um, that folks have asked me about to help you as you kind of work through the next week and preparation for next Sunday and bringing our commitments to the Lord. So first thing is commitment card next week on November 21st. So if you can be here next week, be here. 
and bring your commitment card with you. Um, I think there's something really powerful when we can actually do that physically together, that we can actually bring our commitment for the Lord as God's people, as a church family. And so I would encourage you to be here, bring that card, and we're going to do that as a part of our worship. Uh, that said, if you can't be here, um, there's a P.O. box on the card. Just encourage you to mail that in. And I would ask if you could, if you could mail that in uh, before this coming Sunday, so before the 21st. Uh, that would be really helpful to us. Second, um, I've been asked uh, in a couple of different ways this question, how much should I give? Um, for some of us, this is new. For some of us, it's just an active question. We're seeking the Lord and trying to hear from him. And often, it's connected with the tithe. So I'm going to try to give a, the world's briefest tithe teaching ever right here. Um, so, so some of you have asked, is this our tithe? Um, and so here's the thing with the tithe. In the Old Testament, the people of God were instructed to give at least 10%. That's the, the bottom, bottom line. But I say at least 10%, because if you look through the Old Testament, what you actually find is God had instructed them to give 10%, but then there's all these other offerings and tithes that the Lord commands. And so if you actually add all those things up, it's, it's over 20%. Um, and so, so there's that piece. And in the New Testament, there's not actual explicit teaching on tithing. Um, there's pictures of what we see here in Acts of just a generous people. Um, and so what does all that mean? Here's what I would say that means. I would say 10% is a great starting point. 10% is a great starting point. Um, but it's not a cap. I could just sum it up that way. So if you've never given, shoot for 10%. Maybe you're giving 10%. Don't let that stop you giving more if the Lord leads you to give more. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's no direct number. Seek the Lord. Give as he leads you to give. Those are some guidelines about how much to give. Third thing is, if you have questions about our budget or our finances, I want to encourage you to talk to me or talk to a member of our leadership council. In fact, I didn't prep them for this, but could I get leadership council members to stand for me just right now real quick? I know you don't like this, but if you could just do, do it for me. Just stand. So I want them to stand because I want you to know that you can talk to any one of them about our budget or our finances. Uh, and we want to be absolutely transparent about how we're stewarding um, God's gifts at this church. And so if you have questions about budget, questions about finances, you can talk to one of our leadership councils. You can talk to me, um, Scott Phillips. I don't think he's in here, I think, um, but he's our treasurer. You can talk to him. If all else fails and you can't find one of these people, uh, email info at apostleshouston.org and say, I have questions, and we'll get you in touch with somebody that can answer them. Thanks. Y'all can sit down. Um, but I think that's really important. And y'all can help us with that by your questions, by asking to know more if there's things that you want to know more about. Uh, we want to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. So seek the Lord, give out of gratitude for Christ and out of love for one another. Um, and let's come to next week uh, prepared to make our commitment for the Lord as a community.